0: Welcome to the February 19th edition of In the Moment Tech Radio. I'm your host, Kent Osborne. We've gathered the experts to talk tech today. Joining us a bit later in the show is CEO of Lemonly, John T. Meyer. He will be with us and uh, also live now from a farm north of Vermilion is our social media marketing expert at SDPB, Heather Benson. We are a listener interactive program. If you have a question... We'll try to provide those answers. We'll have lots of information to share today. If you have questions on those, our Facebook page is simply facebook.com slash techradio. You may post your questions or comments there. Please don't be shy. If you'd rather send a text, that's 956-SDPB, 9567372 for a question on the show today. And uh, Twitter users, my uh, Twitter handle is at kentsdpb, and of course the email address in the moment at sdpb.org, uh, still working for this hour. If you've got questions about the uh, the comments on the show today, um, please uh, feel free to reach out and talk to talk to us. Heather, I uh, I teased the show today, uh, talking about a year of the pandemic, and um, and we've we sort of looked back in in the past, but we're we're about a year into it, and we really thought today was a day we could examine um, how really the pandemic changed the way we, we shop and, and e commerce online. Um e commerce is up uh forty four percent in twenty twenty. It's really kind of changed the way we're we're doing business daily, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean I think if we all rewind our brains to twelve months ago, February of twenty twenty, when in South Dakota, at least, COVID was out there, but COVID wasn't necessarily here and in our daily lives. And if we think back about how we were shopping, how we were, you know, eating at restaurants, what services we were utilizing one year ago today, and then look at where we're at right now, I don't think there's very many of us that something hasn't changed. And for a lot of us, a lot of major things have changed. And as the vaccine rollout continues to happen, as, you know, we feel like there's that hope on the horizon, um, the, the, the real question is what stays and, and how, how many of these new habits we've developed are we going to keep? Because for all of us, you know, whether we like it or hate it or what have you, it's changed the way businesses are doing business. It's changed what jobs exist in the marketplace. And it's it's changed how how we live on a daily basis. And I, 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 there's a great phrase um, that is out there is that from a from a tech standpoint, especially. But when you really look at e-commerce, in particular, we just experienced a decade of change in a year. I mean, what you would normally the habits and you know how we do things and jobs. I mean, think of all the moving parts that clicked into place that you know as, as we had to do this we went through a decade of change in one year and and we've never done that before not not like this and so we're, we're at a spot where you know i, I go i go to High V and little vermilion south dakota and You know, the whole infrastructure of our local store has changed. If I'm, we live on a small farm and I go to tractor supply, a farm store, the least likely place, and my tractor supplies interior store has completely changed. And I don't know about you, but I think, I think a lot of it's here to stay.
0: Yeah. I, when I, when I look back, I mean, to see how many of these check, check boxes go off in your brain, obviously teaching your daughter from home was something that you weren't really expecting to do, and that was technology that allowed that to happen. So um, that was something that uh, I didn't have to do, but you did. Uh, Certainly, did I ever order groceries online? No. Did it happen in the last year? Yes. (laughs) Banking, a lot of times. Um, You know, a lot of suspicion, around um, and still there still is about using banking apps and, and going online and, and doing banking and and if you're not comfortable putting the things in place uh, to keep you safe, you know there, there still may be some inherent risks in doing that. but certainly in the last year, a lot of people downloaded and installed apps and started banking because that was more convenient for them because their banks their, their lobbies were probably shut down. Some some may still be, um, and, and you know those types of things may may be happening as well. Ordering food, I never would have imagined uh, a year ago. Uh, well, okay, <laughs> that's that's a stretch because of pizza delivery. But the yeah. the length the length and breadth of food that you know that uh, that you can get now. Uh, that's just sort of expected. Is is just is just kind of kind of got crazy. You talked about um, the high V. Is it shopping by aisles? Aisle shopping. Um, yep, aisles online. Aisles online, and and certainly I know the Walmart in town uh, has restraped the parking lot, and and uh, and that's you know reconfigured the their building to to be able to go and and pull those groceries and hold them for people, and then bring them out and, and deliver. Them. So that's all you know changed in the last year. So
1: yeah, did, the, did that check the, off
0: any boxes for you too?
1: <laughs> every last one of them. I mean, um, I I shop a lot at a farm store. We buy feed there. We buy animal medication. We'll be buying baby chicks here pretty soon. <laughs> and never in a million years would I have foreseen myself until our our household actually got COVID in November, and that's when I started using shopping online for chicken feed of all things. And and the interesting thing is, you know, is how easily that becomes a habit. It, it In many ways, shopping online can be easier. I know when I, I was actually an early adopter of online grocery shopping. I was using it well before the pandemic for the simple reason that when you have a young child and they must come to the grocery store with you, it can be a trial. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so that that convenience of I could stand in my pantry with my phone and look at what I was missing and click, 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 pick it all. And I, I didn't have anyone asking me to buy an extra pack of M&Ms made life easier. And and now a year later, I, I kind of feel the same way about tractor supply. I can stand in my barn and go, what am I missing? And look at my animal medicine cabinet and look what I'm missing. And, and it's it's a habit change. And we all know how hard it is to adopt new habits and how hard it is to break old habits. 2020 forced us, you know, it was a forced acceleration. We, every, you didn't have a choice just but to do some things. When I got COVID in November and I couldn't interact with the public, I still had to feed my animals. And so a touchless, you know, no interface and no danger to others way to do that has now become my habit. and, and, you know, we're, we're going to phase out of this hopefully slowly, but we aren't going to be forced to change our habits. I, I think, and if you look at what all the major retailers, you know, where they're investing, how they're staffing, you know, you, you were talking earlier today when we were chatting about, you know, Walmart's making some major infrastructure changes, you know, physical building changes, because no one thinks this goes away. You know, nothing's going to force us to go back to walking the aisles
0: right and you you bring up a, another good point about getting covid in november that was about the time i did as well never would have imagined i'd be doing doctoring online in a
1: exactly you know, ele-
0: the electronic uh, online healthcare sort of a situation never in a million years and you know i have got a little bit of a chest cold going on right now and i thought you know Maybe I need to go on to my online thing and put a message into the doctor and and uh, possibly see him online. I'd never in a you know in a million years would have imagined that, um, and it's just it's become like you say it's a habit now. Uh, do I want to call the clinic and make an appointment or can I just do an e visit? And, yeah, and uh,
1: all of the stuff we're talking about was there a year ago, you know hy V had aisles online for years. You could do Walmart, you know, Grubhub existed in cities across the U.S. not here necessarily, but that idea of getting food from any of the restaurants, you could, telehealth was something we've talked about for well over a decade as, you know, a national conversation, but we didn't have to use it. And, you know, new habits are hard to make. So nobody, you know, the adoption rate was really, really low. Um, and then we, we had a, a forced acceleration. We had the decade happen in a year and and now, now we all have new habits, and I, I think they're here to stay. And and the adjustments we made, um, I mean, like w- when you think about growth for anything, be it you know e-commerce or growth of telehealth, we usually measure year-over-year growth at one or two percent. You know, two percent more people use telehealth, or two percent more people bought groceries online. And you know that's a that's a big change when you see a two or three percent growth. In in 2020, 10 percent of the entire U.S. did online groceries for the first time in their life. 10 percent. I mean, five times probably faster than we normally grow. That that habit's there now, and I think we as you know, I I can speak to myself that one of the the struggles that I think we're all getting into as this has become used to, is how do we do this right? How do we make the best decisions? How do you protect your privacy when you have a password for you know, 15 different online shopping accounts? How do, how do you make it easy to have 15 different passwords for 15 different online shopping accounts? And, uh, you know, how, how do we prepare for the next evolution?
0: Yeah, if you, certainly if you haven't discovered a password keeper by now, you should be investing in one, and there, there are free ones, but there are ones you can also purchase, and, and I happen to go that route because I need the app on my phone as well as the browser extension to just get through my day. There's no way I could remember all of these. And uh, call me nervous, but I started, instead of using phrases I could remember, I started using really long passwords with characters and, and things and, and phrases that there's no way i could remember but i'd remember them in the app and that's what makes it more secure and uh, and that's that's why i like doing that I, I happen to use a product called lastpass but there are many many others if you if you go online and look for uh, it, even you know well if you're a mac person there's isn't there a keychain function that sort of does that for you um yep. through through for, throughout all the devices so this this may be old hat for some but for others uh it, People really struggle. I, I talk to people every day. They, the, my mailbox is full. Kent. I can't get in because um, I lo- I forgot the password, and I it, it, I got a new one. I had to call tech support and we got it reset. Still can't get in because they, they they lost or forgot that one. You know it's it's a it, it can be a daily struggle. It's very frustrating. And when people get frustrated, they just they just walk away from it and they don't take yep. care of the problem. So. <laughs> Do yourself a favor well, and, uh, and and do that.
1: And I, I think right now, you know, we all need to, I, I'm a big advocate of, you know, doing, I call them tech audits, everything from, you know, what online video platforms am I really using? Do I need it? What online subscriptions do I have? Am I really using it? Really need it? And where have I let myself fall apart a little bit in protecting my privacy and, and making sure I can get into the things I need? and. And if you haven't already, if a year ago, the only thing you needed to remember your password to was your email, and now today you need to remember your bank password, your Hy-Vee password, your Walmart password, your Amazon password, on and on and on, take that time. It's really important as a smart consumer of electronic commerce to take that time and set yourself up for success. Get a password manager, get a way to keep track of this stuff. And as hard as it is, and I am the first to dread the idea of having a different password for every single thing I use, you need to do it. And I'm going to – I'll use a personal example um, and kind of go into another part. We have a lot – and this is not a criticism of small businesses trying to figure out how to navigate the electronic age – But the fact of the matter is that Amazon with its team of security experts or Walmart with their team of online security experts can, in most cases, create a more secure experience from the get-go than it might be for, you know, Heather trying to launch a new website and have, you know, e-commerce sales. And in doing so, you know, the reason you want a separate password for when I go to, you know, joe's tractor parts versus walmart.com is because if someone gets your password from one platform they can't easily go use that at a bunch of different platforms so when you have a problem you can shut down that problem right away and sometimes as people are new and trying to get these things set up some you know as we scatter our passwords around some of smaller websites especially but then the big ones are scary because they have the really big tech breaches but The reason we change our password for every site is so that we can stop the buck, literally the dollars that might be leaving your account (laughs) right at that spot. And in that, when you're going to open a new account, it, it pays to read a little closer through some of these terms and conditions. It pays a lot to pay attention if that is a secure site with the HTTPS on there. It pays a lot. I'm a fan of if I get into a payment on a, a site that I've never used before and I don't know a lot about the company and they offer me a PayPal option. As a consumer, I'll usually use the PayPal option versus typing my credit card direct to their account because I know from experience PayPal has a, a pretty high level of being able to protect me as a pay, the, the consumer. And, and I don't a- know...
0: That's a commerce handoff between the two companies, but not necessarily all of your payment information. Exactly. Right? So that's the extra and, and layer there.
1: Yeah, and importantly, places like um Amazon or even uh you know or you know with PayPal or something, they, they have a very well planned out, you know, complaint procedure. So if something happens to my PayPal thing, I know how to get my money back. If I am using a site I don't know much about, um, I don't know what their payment system is, and I I have any other option, I'll usually go with option B until I'm more familiar with that entity. I I can use, you know, I have two days to read 28 pages of terms and conditions, Um, but it it pays to protect yourself. Online shopping, e-commerce can be a safe, productive thing to do, but it's not something to run around blind and have one password for 17 different accounts and, and hope for the best because it's it's it is still relatively easy for it to go very wrong, and nobody wants to wake up and find that there's 17 cents left in your bank account.
0: <laughs> no, certainly not. And uh, before we go to break, I just wanted a, a little holographic projection of Jeff Litterick just popped up on my shoulder, and he's whispering in my ear and he's saying, Kent, remind people to. About VPNs, and I'll just say, uh, virtual private networks. We've talked about it a lot on the show, and it's if you're going to use, I guess, wireless somewhere where you're not, I would say, at home, and and even even home people can use VPNs. If you're somewhere distant and you want to do e-commerce on your phone or or wherever, and you're using their Wi-Fi and you're not using a VPN, you're opening yourself up for some problems. So um I just I'll just try to try to fit Jeff in the show here because he would be saying that right now, uh to make e-commerce even better, even more secure for you, um think about using a VPN. There's so there it's an app now, really. I mean it used to be difficult to do. There were servers you had to log into and reroute things in your home router and different things, but it's gotten so easy that um that <laughs> that you and I can do it, Heather. And uh, and should yep. if uh, if you're using other folks' Wi-Fi or or people you don't know, don't I mean don't even feel that you can trust a hotel network for being secure or somewhere else you, safely if you're going to do e-commerce online. Grab a grab a VPN. There there can be free ones, but there are some really low cost, very good ones as well. And we can maybe do that on an, on another show. Heather, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we can continue the discussion. We can move on to smart searches if. Uh, if we need to get into that and, and take people's questions and comments uh, that they have for the show today, in the moment at sdpb.org is the email address. Uh, if you'd rather send a text, uh, including a birthday wish that I just got from Aberdeen, thank you very much. That's 956-SDPB or nine five We'll be back right after this. We are in the moment on SDPB radio. It's tech radio. I'm Ken Osborne, and we're talking tech with uh, Heather Benson today and uh, shortly John T. Meyer. Uh, we're taking your questions and comments about tech in your life. We'd love to hear from you. Send your questions by emailing them to in the moment at SDPB.org or a text to 956 SDPB. That's nine five six seven three seven two. 7372. Heather, um, with uh, a subject I wanted to touch on real quick quickly with you is um, with all the privacy we've been talking about um, you had mentioned that searches got uh, they didn't get smarter did they they got they got a little bit harder to do uh, with with the data companies not maybe not knowing as much about us as they used to can you talk about that a little bit
1: well uh, as we know after particularly the 2016 election cycle and the Cambridge analytics, Linux scandal, people became, you know, when I say people, I mean the public became much more aware of the fact that their data was being taken down, and then it was being leveraged in ways I don't think the average person was really thinking about. And primarily, it was, you know, data being sold to sell you things. And we say this again and again and again on tech radio, but if you're not buying a product, you're the product being sold. And as the backlash you know, kind of fell out of that you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019, what we saw it started with the EU. You know, we were cracking down on cookies, which are the, the tracking that they put on your computer to watch everything you're doing, in many cases, you know, where you're going, what you're clicking on, what you're interested in. And we saw places like Facebook and, to a certain extent, Google, um, and how they interacted with their advertisers, they, they quit providing a lot of the demographic data. So, as someone who has purchased a great many Facebook ads in my life, I can tell you there was an abrupt moment where I lost probably half of the demographic data, the detailed demographic data that I previously could use when going to target ads in social media. And, well, as a consumer who's worried about my privacy, that that feels like a really good thing, right? My data's not being used, quote, against me. Um, people aren't buying and selling who I am. However, what what that changes then, uh, you know, e-commerce is about two big questions. What do I want? You know, where do I, or three really, where do I get it and how do I get it? So the what do I want question, so what do I want to buy, where do I want to buy it, has traditionally been answered through the use of that data. <laughs> you know, people, the companies who needed to advertise, you had a product they really hoped you wanted to buy, um, became very reliant on, on being able to target just the right people. And I I will personally vouch for the fact, that we all get a little paranoid when it feels like we think about something and it shows up on Facebook, mm-hmm. that I bought more than a few things. So I was like, oh, I really do need that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's, it's an ecosystem balance that I think we're still trying to find because when, when we say, no, 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 we're going to quit tracking that information on consumers, the fact of the matter is it, it becomes harder to target a consumer, it becomes harder as an advertiser to find the right people. And the converse of that is it becomes harder for the right product to find you. And as, you know, right now we're still working off a lot of historic data that we know about consumers, you know, that, that was in the system. A year from now, two years from now, if we're going to, if we continue down this path of let's, and I, I foresee this happening, of restricting who, where, how, why we can use um, personal data and tracking, it, it's going to change how we interact with search engines and how we find products and how products find us. And it's really gonna affect how advertisers use advertising budgets. Because if if it becomes harder to get the right people, um you're gonna to have to it comes back to the mega the, the print age or T V where the the premise of those was it's a lot of eyeballs. We don't always know who they are, but you know, fifty million people watch that sitcom on Thursday night. And as a person in marketing, that, that's a hard world. You spend a lot of money on hope. And what the digital advertising age helped a lot of people do was you could work with a smaller budget and get only the people that were more likely to buy. And without that information trading between consumer and product seller, we'll, we'll probably be experiencing you know a world of readjustment or advertisers, product sellers, people who have a new gadget they need you to know about are gonna get, have to get creative. I think we'll probably see new uses of not necessarily advertising on social media, but how advertisers use social media as a way to get people talking about what they're doing. Are, are there's going to be things we, you and I, do not know sitting here on February nineteenth, twenty twenty one, what they'll be. Um, but it's it's an evolution that's happening right now, and I can vouch for one that my Facebook ads is a great example the ones that show up in my right hand rail are far less pertinent to things i am likely to click on than they were even six months ago
0: i think i can agree to that Uh, i want to bring in uh john t meyer to the conversation john uh, ceo of lemonly in sioux falls um welcome john
2: hey ken how
0: are you i am i am great anything to add to the conversation um and from your personal or your business perspective on on that, on privacy and, and how it's maybe changed uh, the way we find things and people find us?
2: Uh, yeah, Heather tackled that great. I mean, I definitely can relate to that feeling of having a conversation about a product or service with my wife or the friend and then open, <laughs> opening up Instagram, you know, even hours later and being like, wait a minute, this is more than a coincidence. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, in general, I think, you know, data and information, does, it, it's a give and take, right? If, if you, if, I always like to say if, you're, if the service you're using is free, then you probably are the cost, right? You, meaning your information, your data, like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are free because we also give up that information. So that's really what you're paying. Um, so it's an interesting space. And, and in theory, it should be giving you more relevant, more targeted ads. But I've always been, there's kind of a movement for like should Twitter start a you know sometimes people say Twitter' is more of a utility than it is a, a social network like should it start a five dollar a month subscription plan or uh, I think that's really interesting, and I probably would gladly pay five bucks a month for Twitter to not have ads um, but so that was one thought, and then another thing I think Heather mentioned like how are how are marketers and brands changing? There's a saying in our world that like every brand should basically become a media company right and so if you are creating content you're creating a podcast or, or a video show on YouTube or a, you know blogs whatever you're creating that is really although it sounds it's playing a long game it takes time it takes money it takes effort you can start to own your audience and you don't have to always pay to acquire your audience so how can you build media or content around what you do that's so not always just pay to play
0: interesting and uh, that reminds me of a of an anecdote. Uh, the death of the paparazzi was Instagram. Uh, instead of the <laughs> paparazzi going out and getting all these photos of the of the star, you know, the star now manages just how their how their, yeah. how their photos are distributed. They they're the ones that they want to distribute, and they send to the fans. So the fans are still getting the photos; they're just not getting them in the way that they used to. So that's yeah, a, a great that, point. that's that's what reminds me of that. I guess um, very interesting, yeah. very very interesting. Uh, I think we're going to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, um, we're going to talk more about um, new social media platforms and and privacy there, and and uh, you know who's who's taking a look at that data and why. Um, we're gonna we're gonna really dive into some new. Uh, Best decisions for years on, uh, for the year on your privacy and your data. Uh, when we come back, right after this, we are back in the moment on SDPB Radio. It's Tech Radio. I'm with John T. Meyer and Heather Benson. Um, well, before we get right back into the show, we did have a question uh, via text, and it was, "How safe is it to store your passwords um, on your, let's say, your iPhone?" Is is the question in the in in the from the text, and you know they use an encryption uh, product called Keychain uh, that you know encrypts that data and, and supposedly only you uh, you can access it and it's been very good. I think they're you know uh, it, it takes if if somebody goes about the purpose of trying to get your your uh, your data it it's nearly impossible. Um, really is it completely impossible I'm not sure but it's it's very safe on the on the scale of 0 to safe it's very safe <laughs> I and unless uh, Heather or or John you want to disagree yeah. with me I'm I'm assuming both of you are yeah, Apple uh, users correct
2: I am yep I don't know about Heather
1: yep yep well, I am too and I mean I I think it's worth saying and we we didn't really go over this is when you choose to be online no matter what you're doing there there's always some degree of risk. There's no way to make it completely risk free, no more than it, I can drive in my car and be completely risk free. You know, you, you take that like I I an awareness and understanding and say I'm okay with that. But I, I think that product, you know, they, Apple has a lot invested in making sure that works because obviously if we can't trust that product and trust the phone it makes it less likely for me to buy an iPhone. So they have a huge financial motivation to be really, really good at what they do. And, and so far, they have been. Um, I, like with many things, I'm, I'm inclined to trust the people who are very financially motivated to make sure things don't go wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Keychain's a good product. I, I have maybe a few passwords in there. I don't use it as my main password manager. I think we've talked about these on the show before. I use a tool called OnePass. There's also a great one called LastPass, and the only reason really is just it works across other platforms. So, which I could use Keychain on my laptop too, um, but it's just a little bit easier for me to move those, to move it around on those password managers. Like Heather's right, at the, the Apple, the iPhone, super secure as we, and now that you can't even unlock it with the passcode. Usually, it's either your fingerprint or now even your face ID. You know, those those aren't just nice features because they're trying to get rid of a button they also are more secure right like hopefully someone doesn't also have your fingerprint so (laughs) there are uh there are reasons they're they're doing that both for security and and it's interesting we were just talking about privacy in the last segment this is both I, i i mean i think it's a it's mainly a positioning marketing thing but apple has really doubled down on being the privacy company as you know as facebook and twitter and all these other social networks google certainly got a lot of uh, flack and heat in the press for for using your information apple sort of tried to go the other way which is great for marketing and branding but also i, I do trust them as, as they're pretty pretty safe with your information
0: hmm. oh so just dovetailing into that we've seen people leaving social some social media platforms people have Shut off uh, their Facebook and went to, um, well, <laughs> until it was shut down uh, over to Parler and and other, uh, let's say, MeWe and 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 some other different social media platforms. Uh, how have the two of you, um, I guess, really been able to judge? Uh, other platforms and and uh, and their their privacy and their safety we saw when when parlor was shut down that it was an incredibly insecure platform uh, people were able to go online and, or a hacker was able to go online and and download all the data from all the posts and all the media um, so is it a wait-and-see and see how things shake out sort of a deal or uh, can I just dive into the latest you know, I get an invite from John T Meyer on clubhouse is that is that gonna be okay uh, to
2: take that? it's a loaded question um, yep <laughs> again like if you aren't paying for it then they're definitely leveraging your information to at some point potentially sell you ads now that's what I think we've talked about that on the show as well like what makes uh, Silicon Valley or venture capital interesting is you have you know, Clubhouse, which is, has really no urgency right now to try to make money. Uh, they're told to just grow and grow and acquire users. And there's been talk of building features to allow you to say tip or, you know, give money to the person speaking who's leading the room. Uh, but currently there are no ads in Clubhouse and there's no site that it seems like there will be in, in the near future, um, but on the other hand, and I know people probably get pretty scared when they hear this, like I've heard that some, I think some of Clubhouse's servers are uh, abroad in China, I believe. And so there's always just like, you know, nobody reads all those terms and conditions that you accept and agree to when you join uh, these networks. And so, yeah, you got to be aware, uh, but also, you know, I understand why a lot of people just stopped in.
0: A, a red flag for me was, you know, wanting access to my contacts list right off the bat it wasn't it wasn't a hi how you doing let's show you around and you know can we talk to your friend it was like hey we want to talk to your friends <laughs> i'm like well we'll get we're gonna skip that one for now uh but i i do like it when the social media platform or the the program whatever it is the computer program walks you through their privacy uh right off the bat this is your these are these concerns and this is the settings that you have access to. You know, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? I appreciate that. Occasionally a company will throw me a hey, let's do a security check and see how see how things are looking with our product. Um, I like that. And I wonder if that'll become a more commonplace thing in, in some of these apps.
1: Well, and I think yeah. you touched on something important there, Kent, is no matter what platform you use. And it's a great example of when you sign up for something new because I think we're in a little era right now where people are probably more apt to be trying something new, be it Parler or Melee or whatever. They're going to go see what else in the world besides Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, right? Um, Just because it pops up on your screen and says do this, in most cases you can skip. And in most cases when you first sign up before you really know what's all there how much you going to use it you know have a ch- chance to read all the privacy terms and conditions the less you do the better you can always make your you can always add that stuff back in you can always add more information you can always make the circle bigger but once you have said yes to certain things i mean if i share my full contact list from my phone i i i can't take that back they they have all that info um less is more when you first get started on any platform you can you can add stuff in but it's harder once you've given information away it's you're not going to get it back yeah
2: that's definitely true And, and, and it's not always like meant to be malicious right so like part of clubhouse is like you know, Kent, When I invited you, it actually asked me. I have two phone numbers in my phone book for you, and I think one might be an SDPV number, and one's your cell number. And so it said, "Which one do you want to invite?" And so, part of what they're trying to combat there is the idea of like network effects, right? If you join Clubhouse, but no one you know is on it, you're going to kind of just sit there in a in a problem of <laughs> like who who do I who do I listen to? What do What do I, What do I talk about? And so they're trying to bring your network, which is why Facebook is so hard to tackle because at this point, you know, 17 years in or whatever we said on the podcast or the show a few weeks ago, you got your friends from college, you got your coworkers, you got your, your grandma, you got, I mean, everybody's there. And so whether, whether that's a good thing or not, you know, when you join those new networks, it's harder to pull your network with you. And so what's an easy way to do that? Hey, sync your phone and we'll just bring everybody along. So maybe it's, it's a strategic yeah, move there
0: too maybe uh, the folks that have didn't hear the last show and our discussion on Clubhouse maybe we should back up a second and talk about what that is because it's a bit of a, a maybe a bit of a question mark for some folks right now um, so it's a it's is it still only iPhone or iOS uh, right now I believe yes. it is yeah so it's it that makes it even a little bit more exclusive but um, what is it and why do you like it John? Or do you like it still?
2: Oh, and I, yeah, it's I guess I'm too excited if I like it. Um,
0: yeah,
2: the one thing I'm realizing it's a it's a big it feels like a big time commitment, which I know sounds weird because if you want, I, I'll back up to it. So, Clubhouse is a spot where you can think of it almost as like live podcasting or almost like radio that you're listening to. I mean, it's basically radio. Really, it's like you 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 join a you join a conversation in a room presumably about a topic so you say two people decide to start a room and say i'm going to talk about um the banking industry because i love banking and i want to talk about it. and people can just essentially join as if you were as if kent and i were having a one-on-one you know happy hour and everybody else in the bar or restaurant was just sitting right next to us listening and then if you want to you can bring those people up to join the conversation they can raise their hand you're kind of a default on mute until you get added to the conversation and then you can weigh in. And so what people like about it is you've created these very, nothing is recorded, um, nothing is, you know, saved or posted online. It's just like live in the moment. And so if you miss the conversation, it's it's done. And so that creates uh, some maybe some serendipity or some really exciting, open, honor, honest conversations, right? When Elon Musk joins and he's just... He's just talking all of a sudden. You can sit there and in real time listen to, you know, CEO of the world's largest or world's most valuable car company. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of the pitch for what it is, and it's really exploding right now. It's really having its moment, too, because we're all stuck at home and really starving for interaction or connection of some degree during this pandemic. Um, and so people are going to Clubhouse to at least sort of feel like they're connecting with people.
0: Sure. Is that the way you feel when you I I've seen you and, and your brother, Scott, uh online. Um is that the way you feel about it? Um,
2: yeah. I think I think, you know, I know some people are really using it heavily and they're on their gosh all day long as if it, almost like you know, you'd sit at your computer and listen to radio or a podcast or music. They're just listening from one conversation to the next. I feel like it's a little bit of a... a, a Time suck and there's a lot of notifications. So they they want you to join all these. Hey, join this conversation and come listen to that. And and so, yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I my I haven't decided yet. My verdict
0: is still out on Clubhouse. Is it something you can multitask with? Is it something you can just put in like like you say a radio station or something and put in the back of your head? Is it or is it more engaging and you really need to you know use more of your brain?
2: I think you absolutely can multitask if you're just in the listening phase, right if you're just sitting there and and just kind of consuming if you want to be having a conversation and that's the problem like i, I feel like at, at home as a parent, I don't want to have a airPod in my ear trying to parent and also listen to a clubhouse conversation right and then at work i'm you know I'm working or I'm talking to my team or like and so there are already so many great podcasts, so many great audio books. Uh, stuff I want to listen to and I only have so much time, right? And so that's sort of the, I think the conversations are compelling. The flip side of that live moment is you don't have any curation, right? So you can also sit there and just hear a lot of junk, frankly, like just people who maybe aren't that qualified to talk about the topic or just aren't a lot of rep- repetition, people trying to make sure that they're sort of selling themselves or positioning themselves as an expert. So you just there's the signal to noise ratio, I think is what you got to figure out.
0: I wonder if somebody will uh, figure out a way to, to curate Clubhouse and, and make their own feed of that. Uh, that, that would oh, be interesting. Yeah.
2: There's going to be, yeah, I've already seen Twitter accounts yes. that are like uh, Clubhouse note the best right, so the like best of Clubhouse to a conversation, and then tweet out yeah well, the best takeaways. So you're going to have a lot of like ancillary networks for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, prior to the show, we had spoken about a, another up and coming. Uh, social media um, platform I guess kind of in in the in the neighborhood of taking on uh, Instagram and that was uh, Dispo and uh, have you have you delved into that yet
2: yeah so I I know we talked yesterday briefly Um, you know one of the one of the things these networks are doing to create buzz and hype is, is by creating demand and so I got an invite for Dispo, gosh, five or six days ago, and when I clicked on it, it said that it's um, it's full. The beta is full. There are too many people that are in it. Too many people want it. And so whether that's a throttling, like, we don't have all the bugs worked out, we can't handle it thing, or if it's a, a marketing sort of, you want what you can't have type of tactic. Uh, so I have not got in it yet. But the idea, which I think is hilarious, is like a disposable camera, which... All of us on this show remember what those are, but if you ask your children, they probably have no idea why would you take the camera in to get, you know, the photos. And so essentially it's like a camera app where you take pictures just like we do on our phone. And then at the end of the day, you have to wait until the next morning to get those photos back and to be able to look at them. And so they, I think, apply like different filters and and really make the photos look cool and artsy and fun, kind of like what people really liked Instagram initially to be in the early days. And then you wait to get your photos back the next morning. And so it's this idea of applying like limitations to make, you know, obviously we don't need that. The technology, you can get your photos immediately as soon as you shoot them, but there are actually forcing limitations to try to make it more
1: interesting.
0: Oh man. Um, hundred million dollar evaluation. Uh, uh, Came out, I think, yesterday for that. Um, for disco, really? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, a lot, it's getting a lot of buzz, and it was a. It's a fairly mm-hmm. famous YouTuber and social yeah. media personality, uh, David Dobrik, that that came up with this. So, uh, yeah, uh, not again. Not surprising that the venture capitalists and everybody else are. Trying to get in on the a piece of the the social media pie because it seems to be fracturing a little bit. People are out there willing to, yes, willing to try something new.
2: Yeah, and so there's a there's a lot of hope that um, consumer social, which has been a, a market that a lot of people have avoided and moved on, is maybe having a, another kind of a second. I don't know if second is the right word, but just like another wave, right? And so in twenty. 2011 after the financial crisis we saw a lot of innovation that's when like uber and airbnb were born these companies that are pinterest that really kind of redefined this next era of the web and i think there's a feeling that in this post-pandemic world maybe when we're looking for ways to connect in different ways in more authentic unique ways and we're maybe sick of the, the networks we've been talking about your facebook's or twitter's or instagram's there's there's hope that as technology has evolved, our phones continue to get more and more, you know, complicated and robust and, and impressive. That there's maybe new ways to to quote unquote make social media.
0: Hmm. Heather, what do you think about that? <laughs> you you like to communicate to large numbers of people, and it seems to me that these are we're communicating with smaller numbers of people.
1: Well, I think we're seeing you know the natural ebb and flow of any ecosystem. You you get you start with a lot of little things. They grow to one big thing. Then one big thing can't serve. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You, you when you're too big, you're not agile, and that makes room for those who are agile. And you know, it ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And I, I think this is somewhat the inevitable outcome of that, plus the inevitable outcome of the stresses with the big social media giants the last few years i mean it, it's not been easy to be facebook or twitter and and people are looking for new ideas and new options and and you know what's next be it a gen z or my grandma <laughs> so i, I think <laughs> we're at the opportunity point for you know what will come next and what will rise to be dominant next and I, it'll be interesting it's february nineteenth, twenty 2021 I think tech radio, two years from now, we may not have any of the same names on our lips when we're talking about social media that we do today.
2: I think Heather's right, yeah. And the answer, of course, is, is unfortunately not your grandma, right? Because why is TikTok and, or Snapchat so interesting or potentially valuable? Well, it's used by teenagers and 20-somethings. They are people who will be spending the next 60 years of their life spending money, yep. right? And at the end of the day, it's like follow the money and... and and so that's the people they they want those customers because they have a lot of time left to spend money.
0: Have you been surprised about, um, you know, you talk about younger younger folks, um, and using these apps, but but the older generations are getting in on them too. Uh, we just have a minute left in the show, but have you um, have you been thinking about that? I um, I've been doing this, some discussions and I'm seeing a lot of folks my age even spending a lot of time on TikTok, and that's. Not where they're supposed to be, right? I mean, in the in the world of things, that's supposed to be the that started out being the younger generation,
2: and dance videos. Here's what I'll say: like, yeah. certainly, you don't have to be you don't have to be young to want to create art, right? And like, we all are creative people by that's human nature, whether you think you are or not. And so, whether it be through photography or if you if you want to dance to a video, uh, to music, like I, I think it's great. Like, no one should feel like they're too old or too young for a certain network. Um, And if if you find enjoyment to connect with friends and loved ones and and create content, express yourself, I'd say go for it.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, hopefully we've made you a little bit curious. Hopefully you're going to try things and be a little safer after today's show. Uh, But that's unfortunately all the time that we have. I want to thank my panelists today. John T. Meyer, thank you so much for your time. Heather Benson, uh, again, thank you uh, and remind you that SDPB is always there for you with our app or at sdpb.org. Go there and click on Listen. Have a great weekend, everyone.